Good evening, and thank you all for coming out this evening. I know there may be divided loyalties from some of you, and the idea of putting a little corner up here with the match on was not approved, but we can always catch up on it later. As a retired teacher, one of the things that you frequently encounter are past pupils. Unfortunately, the past pupils are getting older and older. And during the course of this week, I met two of my past pupils. They were both well into their 50s. That tells you a lot about me. But they were both well into their 50s. And I was talking to them, and we were reminiscing about coming up through school. And one of them says to me, he said, you're a Christian, weren't you? I said, no, I am a Christian, and I still am. I write. I said, why do you ask? He says, I've just become a Christian a couple of months ago. I said, that's fantastic news. And how is it? He says, it's brilliant. I said, what have you noticed that's changed? He says, everything that was wrong with me in the past has gone. I said, what do you mean? He says, he said my life was a mess. He said, and now since I've become a Christian, it's like it's all just gone. The other fellow who was with him looked at me and I looked at him and he says, he's right, you know. It's completely changed. So I said to the other fellow, I said, what about you? You're a Christian. He looked at me rather that strange look like catch yourself on look. I said, so you're not? He says, no. I said, well, what are you thinking about? Oh, he says, I have my own understanding and my own knowledge, and I am using that to find spiritual answers. I said, wait a wee minute. I said, I taught you, and I know your level of understanding, and I know your level of, of knowledge, and I'll tell you, you're on thin ice if you're depending on that. He just laughed. But those two stories actually lead us straight into Colossians chapter 3. One is of a story of a life that has been changed, dramatically changed. And the other is a story of one who is still searching. Rip, and I don't know if you can get that up yet. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Colossians 3, and it's a very lengthy chapter. And rather than read the whole chapter at the start, I'm going to go through it step by step, phrase by phrase, as much as we can possibly cover. You see, the problem with Colossae was this. These people were facing serious opposition. It was called Gnosticism. We've heard about this very briefly. Believe it or not, Gnosticism is one of those things that's extremely difficult to pin down. It's like trying to catch jelly. It just keeps changing and morphing, and every time it changes and morphs, it's slightly different. But it was a major, major problem for those in the first century church. And a number of the books in the Bible, and even in the book of Revelation, whenever they talk about the Nicolaitans, they're talking about the Gnostics. It was a major problem facing that church. From two perspectives, one, 
They believed that they had their own knowledge to find God. They believed that God was the supreme, pure being, that nobody could have any contact with. He was a spiritual being. There was no way you could contact with him. And then from that spiritual being, there emanated the God of the Old Testament, who was a creatorial God. And they had various angels and aeons, and Jesus Christ was one of them. And, and it was this very absurd teaching. And that if you wanted to find your way back to the pure, you, you had absolutely nothing to do with the physical. Because the physical, anything physical, was evil. Now, my wife doesn't know I've got this in my pocket. It's a crunchy bar. And you think, what on earth has he got a crunchy bar out for Colossians chapter 3? Well, first of all, crunchy bar is my favorite one. And the grandchildren know it, so they take them out of the jar before I get to them. But a crunchy bar. In the center of all of that wrapping, there is a crunchy bar. It's clean. It's pure. And around about it is this cover. This cover. And that cover can get contaminated. I can drop it on the ground. I could... Uh, do whatever I want with it, and the crunchy bar inside remains intact and, and is pure. That's Gnosticism. Do what? Because what they're saying is the spiritual side of me remains pure, and what happens to me on the outside can get contaminated. It doesn't affect the inside spiritual me. If you want another illustration, it's like a card in an envelope. The card is the spiritual side of you. The envelope can get dirty. And so basically what it meant for these people, what they were teaching was this, to put it bluntly, you can use your own knowledge to search for the truth and don't worry about how you behave. It doesn't matter. The physical is evil. It's detached from the spiritual in many ways. And that's it in a nutshell. And so as we go into this chapter, I just want you to remember those little pictures because we are going to pick up a number of them quite as we go through the chapter. So let's pick it up. We're reading the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Those are the first four verses. We could spend all night just unpacking those four verses but we need to unpack them. Because if we don't unpack them, we don't understand the application that Paul is making. He hasn't just finished a doctrinal section. He says, right, uh, here's, here's all the problems that you're facing. I'm going to deal with them. There's a logical sequence. Because these people believed or were being taught that the spiritual and the physical were different. And the spiritual could not have any contact so you could behave in whatever way you wanted. But... First of all, he introduces God himself 
twice. He says, Christ is at the right hand of God, and he is hidden with Christ in God. Now, those are two really major statements because they have identified God not as this pure entity that you can have absolutely nothing with, but rather there is one who is Christ who is immediately identified, not only identified with God, but he is the manifestation of God. And without this evidence of God, without the reality of God, then the rest of what happens in chapter 3 does not make much sense because he talks about the risen Christ. He starts, he says, you have been raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. And you seek the things above where Christ is. And then he says, Christ is in God, and Christ is your life. Four times in four verses, he emphasizes the link, the connection, the relationship between God and Christ. Remember, they were being taught that the spiritual and the physical could have no contact with each other. They were irrelevant. And here we have Paul saying, no, you're wrong. Christ, a man, was raised from the dead. Christ, the man, is with God. Christ, the man, is in God, unity. And Christ is your life. So, Let's go on to talk about where Christ is in these first four verses. He says, where Christ is, he is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is raised. Christ is alive. Christ is a man in heaven. Make no mistake about it. Don't get caught up in this idea that goes around the times that Christ is some kind of a spiritual being in heaven. Christ is a man, a raised man. He had returned to heaven physically, and he's in the presence of God. Now, that immediately contradicts Gnosticism, because God, who is pure, and that which is physical, could not have a link together. But Paul says, Christ is there in heaven. And secondly, he says that Christ is seated. Christ is seated. And the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he had purified sin, whenever he had died for all of our sin, he completed the work. And Hebrews tells us, and other passages tell us, that whenever it was completed, he sat down. And sat down in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, is a work that is completed. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, when he rose again, when he returned to heaven, he sat down because the work of redemption for you and me was complete. And then he says, he is seated at the right hand of God. And if you look in Psalm 110 and in a number of references right throughout the New Testament, you'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God, a man sitting beside God in heaven, a man sitting beside God in heaven is one who has the ultimate power. 
completed, all-powerful. You know, some people actually think they run the business. Some of our politicians think they're in charge. Some think that God is totally irrelevant. That's wrong because God, seated at the right hand of God, is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is in control. So I want you to understand and see where we're coming from. The people who were teaching him Gnosticism said that God is pure. There couldn't be anything physical, nothing physical, can go into the presence of God. And Paul says, no. He says, Christ, who is a man, the incarnate man, is not only in heaven, but he's seated at the right hand of God and is in total control. And there's more. Look at that last phrase. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, Lord Jesus Christ, as a man, has returned into the presence of God, but as a man, he is coming back again. And when he comes back again, you, you, all those who believe, will return with him in glory. What, what a thought. This is a future event. This is an event which is going to take place whenever the Lord Jesus Christ will come back again. And we, you, me, those who believe in Christ as our Savior, will come back with him in glory. Now, in January, we're going to take a number of weeks in January to look at the topic of the second coming. We're going to look at it in significantly more detail than we'll ever look at it in tonight. I'd encourage you to come along because it's something that people are very interested in and want to know more about. And then to really whet your appetite in the home groups who are doing the book of Revelation. That'll create some interesting conversations. But the fact of the matter is that Christ is coming back. In heaven today, there is a man. And that completely blew the mind of those who were arguing in the first chapters of the book of Colossians, telling people that their spiritual and the physical could have no contact with each other. But then he was on to say, you have died. Now, that's not a very pleasant thought. But so what does he mean? He says, for you have died. Remember this pupil that I are a past pupil or the elderly gentleman who was a past pupil who I was talking about earlier? He said, I had a lifestyle that has gone. He said, I had a lifestyle that was making an absolute mess of my life. I came to faith in Christ and it's gone, it's died. Oh, you say, if only that could happen to me. You know, I understand that it's died. But you know, every so often, I do slip. I do make mistakes. I do sin. So how on earth, if it has died, can I continue to have sinned? You see, Whenever you're looking at died in the Bible, it has a number of images. 
But one of the significant images for this occasion is death is almost perceived as separation. Whenever you die, your body, soul, and spirit separate. And so therefore, what Paul is saying, when you have died, you have separated from that old life. And yet there is this inclination to return. He says, no, it has died. And he said, I have actually illustrated that for you in chapter 2. Whenever he said, I talked to you in chapter 2 about the image of baptism. And if you are here, you'll have seen a number of weeks ago a baptism, and you'll have heard exactly what we're talking about, that whenever a person is baptized, they symbolically die to their old life, and then, if you look, they are raised with Christ. So here's what happens. Symbolically, whenever you're baptized, you're saying, I have died with Christ, and I have risen to a newness of life. You know, it doesn't mean that all the problems have gone away. It doesn't mean that because you've died that you don't have to keep making an effort. No, because Paul goes on to explain that. He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me show you something. There's my Bible, or the Bible I'm using for tonight. There's a piece of paper. I put that piece of paper into that Bible. It's hidden. It can't be seen. It's gone. What do you see? You see the Bible. I can set it on that table. I can accidentally drop it onto the floor. I can put it into a bookshelf. But the reality is that piece of paper is still hidden. And that's exactly where you and I are whenever we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We die to sin, we're risen, but when God looks at us, he sees Christ. Where's the piece of paper? You see the Bible. And whenever we die, and whenever we are risen, we are hidden in Christ. That doesn't mean that we can continue to sin. No, Paul deals with that in a second. But it means that you can stand before God forgiven. You've died. Death and all its consequences for you, other than the physical death of your body, is dealt with. You have risen to a newness of life, and you're hidden in Christ. So whenever you stand before God, He sees, not you, He sees Christ and what Christ has done for you. So, does that mean you continue to sin? Because it doesn't really matter? Because God sees Christ? No. Because you have a complete new mindset. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Have you heard the saying that he's so heavenly minded he's of no earthly use? Of course you have. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about our focus being the same focus that is used in the phrase within Philippians describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Have this mind, exactly the same word here, among yourselves, which is yours 
in Christ Jesus. In other words, to be heavenly minded is not to be some kind of monastic person withdrawn from society, sitting in a remote place and having a, a heavenly attitude. No, it is to live in this land amongst fellow believers and other people, and it is to live in this land developing the mind of Christ. What a challenge. Whenever you look at all of the tenses of the verbs within those four verses, it's always telling you to keep at it, to keep at it, to keep at it. It's not something that you've achieved. It's not done. It's an ongoing search for the treasures that are in Christ. So he now comes to some practical stuff. He says, put off. I threatened to do this and my wife forbid me, which is quite relevant whenever you think at the end of the chapter says that husbands are wiser to obey their husbands, but my wife, my wife told me I wasn't allowed to do this. I was tempted, but I didn't do it. I have a gardening jacket. Okay? To use a good Northern Ireland phrase, it's bogan. Okay? It has been my gardening jacket for years. It is comfortable. It shows the stains and the marks and all the rest of whenever I garden. And the image that Paul is saying is, take it off. Take off that old jacket. Put it off. You've got a different mindset now. Uh, take it off. You know what? I love that old jacket. And no doubt there are times whenever you and I, whenever we have got, are developing a new mindset, a new way of looking, living like Christ, or endeavoring to look like Christ, and, and, and we, we take off every so often, we, we slip back on. So he says, put off. Put off what? Put to death. Again, coming back. Look what he says. What is earthly in you? Now, these are Christians he's writing to. Don't make a mistake. These are, these are believers in Colossae. They, these are people who are part of the New Testament. These are people whose names are mentioned in the New Testament here. He's put off what is earthly in you. In other words, we have this tension. We have an old nature which is constantly fighting. And he says, what are they? Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, all of which are idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. The word sexual immorality there is the word from which we get pornography. In other words, anything immoral, anything which is wrong, anything which we look upon which is not appropriate, anything which we do, anything which we want to do, because the Lord Jesus Christ says, even if you look upon, anything we want to do that's inappropriate is the old gardening jacket, that old filthy rag, that which you need to put off. And these are quite black and white issues. 
If somebody came along and you said they were a Christian and they were engaged in those, you'd be surprised. You'd say, yeah, you wouldn't expect a Christian to be impure, to have evil desires, to have covetousness, which is like, you wouldn't expect that. But look what else he says. But now you must also put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. You know, if you think that I have managed to achieve all that because I'm standing up here on the platform. My wife's sitting in the back row, go and have a word with her. There's none of us, none of us can say we can tick all of that. But we were not, we were surprised when we saw the ones of sexual immorality and so on. But these, these are every day. Every day. These are things that happen, and we do. Our language, the words we use, the words that we hear in the media, the words which blaspheme God. I've heard them in Christian speech. I've heard people using them. Put them off. Lying. I have been hurt. You've been hurt. Because Christians lie about you. Look at the malice, anger, wrath. They're all there. He says, put them off. Remember the crunchy bar. Can't find it. But you see, what the problem was... The people in Colossae were being told, look, you can carry on doing whatever you like because the outer physical is not relevant. It doesn't affect the spiritual. Paul is saying exactly the opposite. You're wrong. You cannot isolate the spiritual and the physical. We will have a resurrected body. We will return as resurrected beings when Christ returns. We have a physical and we have a spiritual body. And we will reign with Christ in a body. But he says, you have got to put off all that is wrong and put on. Put on. You get the image. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, kindness, Humility, meekness, patience. Remember earlier we were said about the mind that we were to have, the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were to develop that mind. There's his character. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
This isn't a new set of commandments. This isn't a new Ten Commandments. This is the way we should behave. We should behave exactly like this. We should, as Christians, be putting off all that is wrong and putting on that which is good and seeking to become more Christ-like as we leave behind, put to death, risen to new life, to be different. And don't for one moment think that we've all achieved it. We are all a work in progress. And equally, we can all slip and slip very quickly. And then Paul talks about three very practical times. He actually takes this and applies them to three situations. And time doesn't allow us because each and every one of them actually is a sermon on his own right. He talks about the relationships in the church. Here's what he says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Okay? And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms of hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, if we only were doing that. If only. Crescent would be a completely different place. We would all be different people. You see, Paul is saying that this isn't just some philosophical idea. This isn't just some spiritual notion. He says this is really, really practical. This is where you have got to put things off. You've got to put things on. You have to change your mindset. And you have to display it among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lie. Don't hold spite. Forgive one another. Be thankful. Build each other up. Care for each other. Praise God together. And when you combine all of those, you have a different situation. The greatest pain I have had in my life, the greatest hurt that I've had in my life, is from a fellow Christian. Can you think of that? You're probably the same a fellow brother in Christ. And that is what happens whenever we set aside and don't take off the old. And what about the family, relationships in the home? Yeah, time doesn't allow us. Let's read what he says. It's self-explanatory. Self-explanatory. He says, you behave in the, house, in the church, you behave in the home. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Taking us back to Philippians 2, back to that passage where we read about the Lord Jesus Christ submitting. Today, in our culture, that looks like a really, really difficult word to get back. But think of what Christ did. And then you'll understand what that means. Husbands, love your wives. In that day and age, with this whole new philosophy that was coming in, they were starting to isolate themselves from their families. They, they believed that contact with the family was evil because it was physical. 
They couldn't develop the spiritual. No, no, no. Your family relations intact. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Four simple things to apply in family life. And each and every one of them could be further developed. And finally, relationships in society. Bond servants, obeying everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by the way of eye service. <laughs> I've seen eye service. Yeah. Yeah. Will you do that? Yeah. You know, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Work for the Lord and not for men. In other words, in our day-to-day -day job, in our day-to-day -day studies, in our day-to-day -day activities, wherever you may be, do it for God. You're an example. They're watching you. You set aside the old. You put on the new. You have a different mindset. You're not allowing yourself to be contaminated by the world about you, and you are going on. Do it for God. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. In other words, if you're being mistreated, as some of these people were, don't you worry about it. God will judge it. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Here's the reality. If you think you're being super spiritual by neglecting the physical and doing whatever you like, you're wrong. Christ is risen. And Christ is seated in the right hand of God. There is a man in heaven. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. Christ will appear with power and glory, and you will appear with him. That is one side. That's the spiritual side. So, You've died, separated from the old life. Enjoy your new life. Enjoy your new life. It's not onerous. The Lord Jesus Christ said, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Change your mindset. Starts in the head. Put on your new clothes. Take off your old clothes and reflect on how you engage with people. So, my two past pupils, yeah, my life has completely changed. Or one says, I'm going trying to work it out all by myself. One who had found the answer. One who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ one who had seen what Christ had to offer and placed his trust in him. And one who's saying, I'm going to work it all out. That's the difference. But for those of us who have come to Christ, we have got to change our minds. We've got to put off our old clothes. We've got to put on our new. And we've got to realize what lies ahead, because it's more 
than you or I could possibly imagine. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for these words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. We think of the church in Colossae, which was struggling with all of these issues. But yet, our Father, we today in 21st century Belfast face exactly the same. Father, we thank you for the regeneration, the new life, the resurrected life which exists because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, our Father, daily to put the old to death, to live for the new, to take off the old clothes, to put on the new, to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and allow it to reflect in our minds and in our behavior. Encourage us each, we would pray, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.